Well, good morning, everyone. Well, we're not going to be continuing, or I won't be continuing in 1 John uh, today. We're going to be doing a little bit different thing today um, that I hope will still serve us well. What I'm hoping to do is really more of a, a deep meditation on God's presence as we walk through some scriptures together, really thinking, how do we really actively engage with God's presence? Is it shaping us? Is it forming us? It's one of these concepts that's so familiar, I think it can get to where it, it either gets so amorphous, there's no real content in it, or, or it's so taken for granted that it's not transformative to us. So my prayer is as we walk through this today that God will use that to challenge us. Also, you know, a brief word. Um, it is a pleasure to be here today, and I dearly love Dave and Ashley, and we'll continue to pray for them. I, I love what God's doing in this city right now. I was at a meeting earlier this week with a dozen or so pastors sharing their lives and praying for each other. The amount of unity that God's done among churches in the city is not common and something we should also continue to pray for and lift up, because I promise you it does not make the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms very happy. Um, so let's continue to pray uh, for God's people and against all those forces as we join together to, to be used by God in this city. What an incredible time to be here. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to come together and open your word today. We thank you that your word is a reminder of your presence with us. We thank you for the incredible gift that you speak to us through word, through prayer, through song. You are a God that reveals himself so thoroughly to us. There is no point in time, Lord, where, where you, we cannot know you, where you aren't revealing, where you aren't coming close, where you aren't drawing near. There are times, Lord, when certainly we don't feel your presence, but there is never a time when you're not present. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us break through, no matter what our background is, no matter how we're feeling, no matter how good or bad our week was, I pray that you would break through all the noise and give us a sense of your kind, loving presence. I pray that you would challenge us with your word today. I pray that you would help us to, to be encouraged by your word today. But most of all, Lord, I pray that you would transform us by your word. Help me to clearly and faithfully proclaim it and help each and every one of us to listen to what you have to speak to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know this. We're, we're sensory beings. God's designed us that way. Our, our surroundings, the things and the people around us, our relationships, all of these things shape how we act and what we do on a regular basis. This is why there's an increasing number of studies showing that distraction is one of the biggest challenges we have. So if we're a sensory being, if we're always looking outside of ourselves for a sense of purpose, then distraction becomes not just a threat to one thing, it becomes a threat to all things. Uh, Kurt Steinhorst in a recent book called Can I Have Your Attention says this, since 2007, the same year notably that the iPhone was released, the decline in employee productivity has been staggering. One efficiency expert says we can lose more than six hours a day to interruptions. Another estimates that these interruptions waste 28 billion hours a year, costing the U.S. economy nearly $1 trillion. A different study about multitasking, a mantra for many employers, found that it costs the economy $450 billion annually. See, here's the challenge, though. Distraction is not just robbing us of our productivity. It's not just an economic issue. It's hindering our connection to God. It shouldn't surprise us that we get a sense of our purpose from people and things outside of ourselves because if we go back to the garden, we see that that's how God created us. We were created to live in his presence. We were created to look outside of ourselves for a sense of purpose. And for Adam and Eve, God was right there. And he was shaping them and he was forming them and everything about their reality and their existence had God right in front of them. The challenge we face is that, that we will go outside of ourselves. 
And so if we're not finding our sense of purpose from God who is there ready and able and willing and meeting us constantly, if we're not finding it there, we are finding it from somewhere. God's presence defined Adam and Eve's purpose and shaped their entire existence. And we were created by God to find our purpose from presence, our purpose from his presence. So we're going to work through what it looked like all through scripture. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden and ask, how did God create us and what did that look like then? And God has this incredible command to Adam and Eve that they are to subdue. They are to go out and they are to transform and do these things. Now, that calls a little bit different now because we're in a fallen world, but that underlying foundation and reality is still there. Then we're going to look at what we learn about God's presence through the rest of Scripture, and we're going to finish by talking about why it matters to our lives today. And I promise you it matters for absolutely everything. So the big idea today is that purpose comes from presence. And, and another way to think about it is, what is whatever is most present for you is having the largest impact on shaping your identity today. So whatever it is for you, if it's not God, it's something else. And so our challenge as followers of Christ, our challenge as image bearers, even if you're not a follower of Christ yet, is to know that God designed you, God made you to be shaped by his presence. So my hope today is we'll understand more deeply what that means. All right, so first, in the Garden of Eden. So God's presence is what made Eden paradise. It was certainly a beautiful place. It was great. It was idyllic in so many ways. But it wasn't just a beautiful place. It was the Garden of Eden. It was paradise because God was there. God was there in the midst to commune and to protect and to do all these things. And incidentally, what will make heaven heaven is not just this great and wonderful recreated new heavens and new earth. What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. What makes existence real, what makes existence meaningful is God's presence. And the garden isn't just a garden. Because God is there, the garden is depicted in God's word as a temple. Not, not just a beautiful place. Again, the garden is both a temple and a holy mountain. If we pay attention to the words of scripture, we'll see these things. The garden was God's dwelling place. It was this holy mountain from which four life-giving rivers flowed downhill to the rest of the world. And God placed humanity in this place, and God's design was they were supposed to extend his special presence to the rest of the world. Ezekiel 28 says this, You were in Eden, the garden of God, the holy mountain of God. Now, the Jewish tradition before Christ understood this well. The, the Jewish book of Jubilees, which is 50 to 75, or 50 to 75 BC, uh, says this, and Noah knew that the Garden of Eden was the holy of holies and the dwelling of the Lord. And think about this for a moment. So written deep in our hearts, every human being, no matter who you are, as an image bearer of God, is that you were made, you were designed, you were created to live in God's presence. And God's presence is this holy mountain, this holy temple. It's not accidental that throughout history, no matter what culture you're in and no matter what part of the world you're in, that mountains continue to be holy places. It's in essence kind of hardwired into us. You can have an avowed atheist climb to the top of a mountain and describe themselves as what? Having a spiritual experience. It's hardwired into us, and we see this throughout the rest of Scripture. Now, other things we see in the Scripture. Into this garden temple, God places Adam as a kind of priest king, and Eve joins him later. Adam was created someplace else, and God placed him in the garden. A few verses from Genesis 2. Genesis 2.8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. In Genesis 1.28, what's called the cultural mandate. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. It's an interesting turn of phrase there, right? They are to fill the earth, they are, they are to subdue it. They were created not just to stay in this little garden, with this garden is this little place of God's, God's presence. Adam and Eve were created to, by living with God and living for God, to extend God's presence beyond the garden. 
They were, they were to be image bearers like him in bringing order to chaos. So you have this idea that the garden is presented as this kind of holy beachhead, this place where God's presence is uniquely. The rest of creation at this point in time is darkness and chaos. Adam and Eve have been given this charge by God to, in God's place as image bearers, carry his presence to the ends of the earth. God's temple presence was, was, was to characterize the entire planet at that point in time. In effect, the whole earth would become God's special dwelling place. So Eden was kind of a type of prototype of something much greater. And here's what we know. Adam and Eve failed. But here's what we also know. We are still image bearers of God created to do that very same thing. So how do we do it and what does it look like? Well, a lot of it has to do with how we conceive of God's presence. Now, I was going to share this story with you about, like, uh, about God's presence, the funny story about my grandfather crushing me in Monopoly. But then I made the mistake of talking to him and catching on the stairs over here right before the service. And if you don't know how the Holy Spirit works and moves, then spend some time with Nkechi. So I began to tell her this story about God's presence that was kind of more powerful to me. So I realized, you guys have heard this concept before where Charles Taylor talks about the social imaginary. He's a philosopher, but the idea is, is that we can only conceive of what's imaginable in our minds. So we have this plausibility structure in our heads, and everything in our life comes through that grid. And for me, I learned a few years ago that the very idea of the presence of God comes through this grid. And I learned it in rural Malawi talking to a nine-year-old boy. We've been going to rural Malawi as a church, the same little village for about six years. And we go, not as a neocolonial project, we go to learn and to love and to serve the volunteers that are there. Many of whom are widows slightly above the starvation line, serving their neighbors that are below the starvation line. So we're there to encourage and to minister to people. And I'm talking to this nine-year-old boy. And I'm thinking in my theological grid mindset, I want to figure out where this kid is spiritually. And so I asked this kid, nine years old, and part of this is through interpreters. He speaks some English, but not super well. And I asked this nine-year-old kid, how do you know that Jesus is with you? And I'll be honest with you, that very question revealed my failure in how I conceive of the presence of God. What I was looking for for this kid was some kind of academic theology. For him to give me some kind of, you know, explanation from scripture of how he knows God's present. And this nine-year-old kid looked back at me like I was an absolute moron. <laughs> and, and he looked at me as though I was asking, it's kind of the equivalent question if someone came to me and asked me, how do I know my wife is real and with me? This is how he, can, he goes on to explain it. He's like, well, so when I wake up in the morning and I pray, Jesus is there. And, and then when I, when I, go throughout my day and I need his help, I, I pray and he's, and he's still there. And when I eat lunch, he's there. And he goes and details this whole day and, and Jesus is there. And then when I go to bed at night and I pray, Jesus is there. So do, do you get it? And I realized that my concept of the presence of God had become far too academic. My concept of the presence of God was knowing theor- theologically, knowing academically that he is present but not knowing him in a deep experiential way. And I suspect for most of us in the West, this social imaginary idea, this idea that God is always present with us and is uniquely present with followers of Jesus, is uniquely present with image bearers of God that have been redeemed and renewed in Christ, is something for most of us has probably become too academic. And so the, the hope today is as we look through the rest of this message is to take it out of the academic realm and put it into the experiential realm. So secondly, we're going to look at how this idea is developed throughout the rest of Scripture, just kind of briefly here. If you don't get anything from this next section, what I want you to get is God pursues humanity so they will know his presence. So here's how it goes to the rest of the Bible. We know the story. Humanity could not remain in God's special place. They couldn't remain in the garden of God on that holy mountain, but God's going to continue to pursue them. 
But God's actions after the Garden of Eden, after the fall, are always presented as a kind of heavenly intrusion into a broken world. An intrusion of grace into a general world order is how the theologian Meredith Klein describes it. So the garden was good, but it wasn't yet perfect. It was a replica of the heavenly reality. It was, again, this kind of beachhead that they were, extended to, to, they were intended to spread this unique presence to the rest of the earth. But now they're expelled from the garden. And they can't be in God's presence in that same way. But think about this again. Every human being, starting with Adam and Eve, were created to live in God's presence. And so there's a deep longing in every human being, no matter what you believe, no matter where you come from, no matter if you think Christianity is full of it, there's a deep longing in your soul for the presence of God. We have the eternity, eternity is written on our hearts, as the Apostle Paul reminds us. This is how J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, describes it. He says, we all long for Eden. And we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with a sense of exile. And so we'll see from the very beginning, God puts a plan of redemption, a plan of pursuit in place to bring his people out of exile and back into his presence. A plan that will ultimately culminate in God redeeming not only humanity, but creating a new heavens and a new earth, a place where God and humanity can again dwell together. That's what's happening. That's the trajectory of scripture. But after the garden, it's heavenly intrusion. Think about this for a moment. If an angel of the Lord had visited Adam and Eve prior to the fall, it would have been an occasion for great fellowship, right? If an angel of the Lord visits humanity after the fall, it's often a terrifying experience. It's a heavenly intrusion. And we see this all throughout scripture. When God is present, it's something otherworldly. It's something not of this world breaking into this world. We see it when the, cloud, the column of fire and the column of cloud are guiding God's people by day and by night. We see it in the tabernacle. The tabernacle, actually, the creation of which actually follows creation days. The construction of the tabernacle is intended to make us think of the garden, by the way. But even in the tabernacle, shows that God desires his presence to be with us, but it's shrouded. It's separated from them. We see it all throughout scripture. We see it in Moses going up to the holy mountain to get God's heavenly reality plans for the temple. And the temple itself is again going to replicate the garden. God is constructing the temple in a way that is teaching his people that they were designed to live with him in this garden. That's why there's pomegranates and trees and all kinds of things throughout the temple. All this imagery is so powerful and it's everywhere. And here's the deal though, right? God's presence is there, but it's still behind curtain, behind curtain, behind wall, behind wall, and God's people can't get there. We can't get there. We can't get there on our own. Hebrews 9 talks about all those things in the Old Testament being copies of heavenly things. Daniel chapter 2 and Isaiah 2 talk about God's holy mountain filling the whole earth, that God's plan for redemption and renewal is still going to go forward. There's a lot in there. There's a lot more in scripture, but here's what I want you to get. God's presence after the Garden of Eden is a heavenly intrusion into this world because this world is under a common curse. And so when God breaks in, it's something breaking in to get our attention and to show us and to give us a vision and a lens on what life can be like. And of course, we know that God's ultimate intrusion is in Christ himself. It's Christ that will fulfill God's plan. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Theologian Meredith Klein says that Eden could very well have been called Emmanuel, because it was the place of God's holy dwelling with man. But here's what we see in the life of Jesus. Where humanity failed to extend God's presence, Jesus did not. Jesus is the meeting place of God and man. Every place that Christ went, he extended God's presence and invited human beings, ordinary broken human beings like you and I, to come into God's presence. He is the ultimate manifestation of God's presence here on earth. The incarnation of God in man to save all humanity and the world. And everywhere Jesus went, what did he do? He brought beauty and redemption and truth. 
But if you think about this and have a lens on it for the whole New Testament, the heavenly intrusion language is absolutely everywhere. The opening chapter of the Gospel of John in verses 5 and 14, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, literally meaning he tabernacled in our midst to point us back to the fact that God is going to have his presence pursue us and he's going to bring us back into his presence. First John that you guys are preaching through right now, there's this imagery of the eschaton, something not of this age, Jesus Christ breaking in on this age, God breaking in to redeem and to renew and to restore. We get this vision in Matthew 17 and the transfiguration where Jesus is transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. All this imagery in the New Testament, light breaking into darkness, life breaking into the realm of death, hope breaking into the realm of hopelessness. Think about how many times you see in God's word a breaking in and ask yourself the question, why is God breaking in? To redeem and to renew and to restore always. Light breaking into darkness. When we see Christ, we see God's plan of redemption. It's the very way that Christ taught us to pray, isn't it? I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me here in a few minutes, but I want you to also know that the slide that goes up here every morning in San Francisco as it is in heaven is obviously drawn from the Lord's Prayer. And it's not just a cute little ditty. It is a deeply transformative statement. Pray these words with me. Pray whatever version you want. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, stop there. We are praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for heavenly intrusion. We are praying the power of heaven to intrude onto earth in a transformative and powerful way. We are praying to be shaped by God's presence in our own lives. And we are praying that God would enable us to shape our world through the power of his presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not just a religious prayer that you kind of pray through. You are calling down the power of heaven to transform and renew you and to transform and renew everyone through you that God will give you the ability to do. It's a massive and incredible prayer. But it's not just a prayer for this this big, grand vision for mission. It's a prayer that we would be shaped by God on a daily basis. And it gets really practical when it comes to the realm of ethics. If I'm praying God's heavenly reality to come down here to earth, if I'm having a vision that God is actually, that that his heavenly intrusion is continuing in this world through me, that the very presence of Jesus is being mediated to this world through the power of the Holy Spirit wherever I go, it has a transforming impact on us and how we live. I've tried to do this with my kids. My sons are 15, 10, and 7. And with my 15-year-olds, from a young age, we talked about what it means for him to be an image bearer of God. And it's getting a bit more real as he gets into his teenage years. And he's going out into other kinds of environments. And so my 15-year-old, I just think about what I was doing as a 15-year-old. I just praise God that his protecting presence is always with us. <laughs> but I think about my son, and I want him to be far more intentional about how he's living and where he's going. And so as we talk about him going into parties, hypothetically, because he never will go to one. <laughs> but I don't just want him to like, be a good Christian. Or, or put on good moral behavior, I want him to have a vision for what God's doing in his life. To ask himself the question, what does it look like to be here as a redeemed and renewed image bearer of God, as a heavenly intrusion in this place? Now, it doesn't mean you can't have fun. God invented fun. God wants us to enjoy food and drink and people. That's who he is. But what does it look like to be in that place as a 15-year-old thinking, how could I be here in a way that's, that's, that has some kind of transformative impact? Or how can I be here in a way that honors and glorifies Christ? And then I extend that to my own life, right? I extend it to, you know, office happy hour every week. 
all these places that God has you in, what would it look like to be there if you viewed yourself as a heavenly intrusion? What would it look like to pray before you go into those meetings, into your workplace, into that happy hour with in San Francisco as it is in heaven? God, let your heavenly reality invade earth. Let your heavenly reality come into this place through me. Let my very presence be a reminder to me that you are real and that you are with me and that you will always work in and through your people. It's deep. And it goes to transforming all of us. And so, again, Garden of Eden, place of God's special presence. Humanity is supposed to extend God's special presence to the ends of the earth. Think Great Commission there. Humanity cannot do that at that point in time because they rebel against God. But God is going to redeem and renew and restore through his pursuit of his presence. And once again, his presence can be taken to the ends of the earth through his people, but now through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We, we have been brought into God's plan. God's plan hasn't changed. The cultural mandate has not changed. We don't just go to the ends of the earth with a, with a verbal message. We go to the ends of the earth with the very presence of God to renew and to redeem and to transform. That means in your vocation, in your family, in your neighborhood, everywhere God has you go is a part of his cultural mandate. Everywhere God has you go is a part of you extending his presence to the ends of the earth. Thirdly here, let's talk a little bit more in detail about what it looks like for our lives. What are we really called to do on a practical level? Well, first, as I've been getting at a bit here, we recognize what God has done for us in, in Jesus Christ and what God continues to do for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. French theologian Jacques Ellul, he has this really powerful description. He, he says that the very presence of a follower of Jesus in this world is itself a sign of God's covenantal love. That before a Christian even does anything, and there's plenty we're called to do, but before you as a follower of Jesus even do anything, before you even wake up, before you even think about what's on your plate for that day, just your presence in this world is a sign of the heavenly intrusion of God's love and a sign that God is not done with this fallen and broken world. Your very presence is almost sacramental. A sign and a seal, not only what God's going to do in your life, but a sign and a seal that he is not done with all of creation. We are here today walking around bearing witness to the fact that God is continuing to work in and through us and in this world. You are light breaking into darkness. God's presence is with you in a very real way. We see that throughout scripture. This is how A.W. Tozer describes God's presence and how it should impact us. That which is not God can never satiate the heart exclusively created for God's presence. You have a deep longing in your soul for God's presence, to be shaped and to be formed by God's presence. And as God shapes you and forms you, he works through your life in this world in very real ways, sometimes very ordinary ways, sometimes very demonstrably supernatural ways. But God is always at work to transform you and to transform others through you and ultimately is going to fully and finally transform this entire world. But our challenge again is, we need to recognize as created beings and we need to think and pray hard to, through how we're actually processing these things. And we need to be reminded that whatever is most present for you is shaping you most powerfully. And it needs to change our view of absolutely everything. And again, we're not going to get into all the details of what we could get into today, but think about this for a second. If I just in one area, if I viewed myself as, as a heavenly intrusion, as God's very presence with me, and if I viewed all of humanity as those created in God's image, entitled to dignity and worth and honor. And I ask myself the question, what does it look like to, 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 to be the heavenly reality here on earth? If an African-American pastor friend of mine named Brandon Washington in Denver, and he, he heard him speak in the spring, and he said this, he said that if you don't like a multicultural vision for church, you're probably not going to like heaven very much. 
But what it look like to have our, our, our whole lens transformed? That I look at every image bearer of God as entitled to dignity and worth and honor, and I ask myself, as the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit of God here right now, God, what impact can I have on that person's life? It's about praying and coming to God and being more sensitive and hearing and understanding that he is always working and moving and he's always working and moving through us. We are part of God's heavenly intrusions into the realm of the common curse. The fact that God made the ultimate heavenly intrusion into our world in Christ ought to give us the boldness to be a heavenly intrusion in the lives of our neighbors, of our coworkers, and of our city. Here's some more language from the New Testament to just drive some of this home. You guys know we're, we're called temples of God. And it doesn't just mean don't smoke, drink, or chew. It means use your body in a way that glorifies and honors God. You, your body is a temple. The, the, the Spirit's presence is in it. If you had told someone in the, Old, in the Old Testament that your body would be a temple because of the finished work of Christ, they would have rightly told you you were blaspheming. That's nuts. God's presence can't be with us. That doesn't work. God's presence is behind wall, behind wall, behind curtain, behind curtain. God's presence is shrouded. God's presence is something altogether other than, than we are. We cannot be in God's presence without being destroyed. What are you talking about? But through the power of Christ, you can be. They were longing to get into God's presence. They would come into the temple courts just to get a sense that God is present somewhere back there and that maybe he might work in our midst and through us and we might be able to see something of his presence. And yet I, you, all of us, probably to some level, daily take for granted that that presence that was once shrouded, that that presence that was once hidden in the temple is now present in our own lives, in our own souls, in our own hearts on a daily basis because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Holy crap. I mean, that's a deep thing. That's amazing. That ought to blow our minds on a daily basis. And then to say, okay, well, I know your presence is with me, and it's not there for no reason. It's there to define my purpose in this world. It's there to define my purpose in my workplace everywhere I go. Philippians 3, there's this imagery of the colony of heaven. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 20, 21, Jesus tells his disciples, and us by extension, that as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In the same way Jesus Christ was sent, we are being sent. It's this image we see all over Scripture. In, in pre-service prayer, Colossians 3 came up. And in Colossians 3, we're praying about our connection to Jesus that sits enthroned above. And we're praying that Jesus that sits enthroned above, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would come down and work in and through us in this world. It's all this heavenly intrusion language. It's this connection between the heavenly reality and the earthly reality, where as followers of Jesus, we've been given insight, we've been given vision, we've been given imagination to say, what would it look like to have some of that down here? transforming and renewing and impacting us. 2 Corinthians 5, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are the presence of Jesus Christ in this world. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminded his people in his time, the world no longer sees the incarnate Christ, but it sees the incarnate body of Christ in his believers. Jesus left us behind. Now, sometimes I think that was a dumb plan. He should have stayed. It would have been a lot better. But he says, no, it's going to be better for you if I go. 
Because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is going to mediate the very presence of God into your hearts and into your lives. And tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of my people will go to the ends of the earth and take my presence with them. And God's plan will be fulfilled. God's plan from all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. And it will be fulfilled through us, through the power of his Holy Spirit. This language is everywhere. And so if we go as Christ go goes or Christ went, what do we do? We bring beauty and redemption and truth. We bring the message of reconciliation. We bring the message of forgiveness that all of that's possible, but we do it all recognizing that God is breaking in, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that was hovering above the waters at creation is the same spirit that is living inside of you right now, empowering you and enabling you to do great and wonderful and amazing things through God as we pray, not my will, but yours be done. As we pray, Father, may the heavenly reality intrude here onto earth. It ought to give us a different vision for how we are praying and living in this world. One of the things I love to do is to to read different believers from different cultures and different times and to see how they interpreted these truths in, in equally challenging times as ours. And St. Cyprian, or Cyprian, is one of my favorites. He was in the third century. He's North African. He's Berber. He had a cool afro and one of these, uh, one of these mosaic images you can see of him. And Cyprian says this, Be constantly committed to prayer or to reading Scripture. By praying, you speak to God. In reading, God speaks to you. This idea that we are not only this heavenly intrusion, but we are to be in constant communication with God. That in his word... He reveals himself to us in a mysterious and wonderful way. That in prayer, we reveal the depths of our heart to him. And so there's this image that we are in conversation with God. So that, and we are learning how to be a heavenly intrusion in this world through that conversation. And without that conversation, we don't know. We're flying blind. But the Spirit's in us, and we're enabled every moment of every day to have that conversation. You can wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning and begin to have that conversation. You can, at any point in time, you can step out of your office for a minute if you're frustrated or angry and have that conversation. You can have it in that little Nehemiah way in the midst of a conversation. God is always speaking. The question is, are we being shaped by his presence? His presence is always with us. He's always with us. Closing here, I want to think us do a little bit of a thought experiment together. And if you need to close your eyes, that's fine. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're flying up above the peninsula of San Francisco, so the, the northern end of it, and I want you to imagine that it's entirely blacked out, that darkness is completely and totally covering the entire thing. You can't see a thing. And then I want you to see right where your house is, and I want you to see that for a two-block radius around your house or apartment, boom, a circle of light breaks out, a heavenly intrusion, that you don't just live there, you are a heavenly intrusion there. You are a holy beachhead because God has gone there with you and the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ is there with you in that midst. So boom, a circle of light there. Now think about all your friends and where they live and think about circles of light busting in on those places. Think about your workplace, your office building, your office, wherever you go. Think about the Spirit of God breaking in on that place. So it's a circle of light in that whole entire area. Think about... Everett Middle School right now as a massive multi-block radius circle of light. Think about Christ Church and Epic and all these other churches in the city as these massive inbreaking of light breaking into darkness. Think about every place every Christian is living and worshiping and working in this city. How dark does our city remain? It's completely lit up. We are not crouching down in the shadows hoping that God will somehow enable us to survive. We are intruding. 
a heavenly intrusion. Now, we're not arrogant and self-righteous, hopefully. Some of you guys are, but most of us hopefully not. (laughs) How do we go? As the Father sent me, so I'm now sending you. So we go in the way that I was not thinking of anyone in particular. (laughs) So we go in the way Christ came. We, we We go in humility. We go with love. We go with words of redemption. We go to be a presence of, of love. We go, and we might have to speak some hard words in the midst of it, but we speak those hard words in the way that Christ spoke those hard words. What I want each of us to have is a deep meditation on the presence of God in your life. The deep meditation that for me, again, began when a nine-year-old boy schooled me in rural Malawi. But all of us need to be schooled. All of us need a deeper sense of God's presence with us on a daily basis. You don't need more morality. You don't need more behavior modification. You need a deeper idea of what it is to be a redeemed and renewed image bearer of God. You need to be reminded of who God made you to be. And then just sit back and go, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you. Your spirit's present with me. Are you serious? This is amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're always with us, leading us and guiding us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a big vision for how powerful you are, a big vision for how you are breaking in on this world, Lord, light breaking into darkness through the work of Jesus Christ and continuing to break in through us, your followers, your believers, your redeemed and renewed image bearers. Give us the courage to live for you in these challenging times. Amen.